Coming up, part two of the Sunday Sports Extravaganza with Rosillo. It's all next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Make this summer the best one yet. Invest in a Simply Safe home security system. I have one. I love it. It's a great way to protect your home when you're not there. Um, you need one, especially during the summer. You know what burglars know? People go away during the summer. That's what happens. So when you're away, you want to make sure your place is protected. You want to make sure that you potentially have little camera things you can watch on your phone to see what, what's happening at your house, at your front door, inside. You deserve some peace of mind. Get it today with Simply Safe. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. The new Prestige TV podcast is up now. Me and Joanne Robinson and Sean Fennessy covered episode six of Succession. You can listen to it right after you listen to this. Sean also covered uh, the latest Barry episode with Bill Hader. That is also on the Prestige feed. If you missed part one, of my podcast with Rosillo, we did it right after Warriors, Kings, Game 7, the Steph party. We had a little Steph party of our own. This is part two. We're talking about the rest of the playoff series and we're going to play a game called What Do You Do Now? with some of the teams that got knocked out. It's all next. Once again, our friends from Pro Jam. <laughs> All right, we're taping part two. It is now 4.20 Pacific time on Sunday. If you missed part one, we talked Curry. We talked Golden State Kings. We talked a little Curry versus LeBron. We did some first tag segments. It was great. Part two, Phoenix, Denver. Let's start there, Rosillo. I'm worried about Phoenix for you. I don't like this matchup at all. I didn't like it before the series. Denver was plus 100 on FanDuel, which I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe they were underdogs when they had the game seven. I think at home, I think people have been sleeping on them all season. The fact that there's a lot of continuity with that team. They've been, the main guys have been together a while now. Murray Jokic have been together for years. And I didn't understand why Phoenix was favored. Then you watch game one. And Denver was basically doing whatever they wanted offensively. Murray was great. You have a lot at stake with the Chris Paul thing as Chris Paul's number one believer. Uh, how concerned are you right now? Very. And I was concerned at halftime. And, you know, I don't know if this is going to be one of those things where we get the lesson earlier. Like, hey, that Clipper series was all you guys needed to know. Like, think about what they were at the end of that. And then Booker goes off towards the end and it's still kind of like, Oddly, a game, even though, you know, I think sometimes the score, you can see a team kind of let up a little bit. But no, that, it's was, like, that was a game. That was like a, the Clips yeah. had the ball and it was 
was it tied or were they down two with like five minutes left? Like that was they never actually. I don't think they ever had the lead, right? So they never. No, it was either tied or so. I'm, I'm watching them in that series, going, "What happened to all the things I thought they were going to be really good at?" And you know, look, they're they're top four, and I know we'll get to Aiton. Their top four should be good enough to hang with anybody. They really should be. I mean, that's what I think of Booker, and that's what I think of Durant. I think it's very clear that I have a reduced emphasis for what I think Chris Paul is capable of every night of the playoffs. I think there's certain nights. I mean, he was incredible after having an awful earlier game against the Clippers. The next one he comes back, he was the guy in the fourth quarter. So I still think that can be in there, but he's not going to carry a team. But when I watched that first half and I saw 15 more field goal attempts, I'm a big field goal attempts guy. I think a lot of times that'll tell a story because you're watching it going, you're not shooting it well. You're not shooting threes. They had five three-point attempts in the first half, which is not what they do, but they're now in the playoffs averaging 23 and a half attempts per th- um, from three, which is last of all the playoff teams, which is like almost 10 less than they averaged in the regular season where they were kind of like middle of the pack with Philadelphia at 16-17. So I know the three-point mid-range thing I want to get to there, but you can't get your ass kicked on the boards and turn it over and have Murray shoot. Like, you're just not going to beat them. You're not going to beat them at their place. But as I've said throughout all this, Sometimes game one, like everybody would get totally freaked out because it's the only evidence that we have, right? It's the only evidence we have of how a series is going to go. I would remind everybody, like you, as much as I like Denver, they're 19 and 22 on the road this season. So even as a one seed, it's like if you're an awesome team, you're not 19 and 22 on the road. You're just not. So I am phased, but maybe not shaken. Maybe that's the same thing. I don't know. Uh, but I, yeah, I, game one was bad. Game one was bad for a million different reasons, which I know we'll get into. Is that reasonable? All reasonable. I would only add this. Katie and Booker had 56 combined, which is kind of where if I said to you game to game, what are you looking for from those guys? You'd, you'd say between 55 and 60 seems reasonable, right? And maybe one of them goes off, you get to like 65. They got to 56. Phoenix shot 51%. So the offense was, can't ask for much more except for the threes, which we'll talk about in a second. But Denver won handily and the game was never in doubt, really. So if I'm Phoenix, what's my move? You'd be like, oh, cool. Uh, all right, we need more from, can, can Booker and Durant get to 70? Cool. They were seven for 33 from three, which you mentioned. But this is like Raheem Palmer was the first one who I heard point this out and it got me thinking about it where he was just like, I don't think Phoenix makes enough threes. Like they're spotting the other team. They're minus eight. They're minus 10 every every game in the three category. So you really have to shoot the twos, you know, at like a crazy rate to catch up with this stuff. So that was a fear for me. And then I just, it's like roulette with those role guys. I don't really like any of them. And, you know, I was telling Eddie Johnson, I was on, you've been on that show too, Eddie and uh, Termini. I really, I like those guys. And I was busting Eddie's balls about like the world guys. I was like, I, I don't trust any of these dudes going down the line. Like, do you trust this guy? Do you trust this guy? Do you trust him in the game that we just watched that Kings Golden State game, a game seven when now it's not crunch time. Now there's like this different weight that comes into it. Who are the five? And, and then that's before we get into the eight part. So... If I'm Phoenix, I'm just like, how much do I need from Durant and Booker to win this series? And to me, it's like that 55 to 60 has to turn in a 65 to 70. I need those guys to be around 65 minimum, I think. Right? That's part of it. 
you know, you're going to need one guy to go nuclear here, but that waiting around for Every that, game. although although it's likely that one of the two guys are going to have a really big night multiple times in this series because those two dudes are that good. You know, Durant got off to a great start, was super aggressive. I love the way Booker's played in the playoffs here. He's, he's you want to talk about aggressive, that guy is wow. unrelenting, you know, but they've got not only the bench problems, like there was there was a group of like five other guys and they didn't even total 10 points. And Torrey Craig, I do like, I do trust, but he's the fifth guy. We know he went off in a couple of the Clippers games. I think he holds up defensively, but there's there's all sorts. Like, I'll just go through the list. When Shamit came in and had to defend Murray, was no chance. Shamit hit a shot, though. That was fun. They also have to <laughs> figure out what they're going to do on the Murray-Jokic pick and roll. Because even though they run it for so long, they're really Stockton Malone now with this thing and those two guys. They're totally comfortable changing roles, figuring out different ways they want to do it. But there's there's a couple plays that jump out to me, so I'm not saying it was the entire night. When Murray's ball handling, and he's shooting like he is, so now you're kind of like playing with extra urgency towards him, and Jokic is free, the guy on the other side has to come in and meet Jokic. There was a play where Jokic rolled and Booker stayed kind of hesitant on it while Aaron Gordon's in the corner. You're going to have to give up Aaron Gordon looks. You might want to not want to do it with Michael Porter Jr. You might have to do it with Bruce Brown. Whoever the guys are off the corner on the Jokic side of the roll, there has to be more of an urgency to just clog him up a little bit. Now you could argue and say, well, as soon as he catches, he's just going to throw that guy in the corner. Good, because Jokic three feet away from the hoop is not what I want. And there were too many times it felt like Jokic was totally free to do whatever he wanted to. Uh, and then the last part that's with Jokic, at least for me, is the concern we had about Denver as a real title contender. Could they do it? I don't think you know. I don't think anybody was saying they can't. But it was what is it like when Jokic is anchoring you defensively? Are you going to have moments where he gets exposed? Chris Paul in the Suns and Four series, like that's what they did. And I'm not saying I want Chris Paul having every single possession when Booker and Durant are watching because they actually did that in the Clippers series, what I didn't love a ton. But I didn't feel like there was any of that stuff against Jokic uh, where they were trying to get him caught up in what they were doing. So when you're down 15 shot attempts in the first half because of turnovers, offensive rebounds, and Denver's hitting everything, I mean, they're lucky they didn't lose by 50. I thought they're in, I mean, Murray was awesome, so you, you always want to like take a breath. But um, one of the reasons I like Denver to make the finals is I felt the safest with the thing that they did best over anybody else, which is just running stuff through Jokic and shit happens, right? It's just, he's a fucking cheat code. And it, this was the case of the Minnesota. Remember that game when they were down 12 with like two minutes left and it was like, all right, Jokic is just going to score in every possession here or create an assist or whatever. Just seems like their offense never breaks down. Even the Warriors, as great as Curry is, They'll have sections where their offense just breaks down. You don't really see it with Denver. And I wonder, like, and this was the case for voting for them for MVP, for voting for him for MVP, which I ultimately decided not to do and probably regret for the rest of my life. Um, I just don't think they ever break down with him. When he's on the court, they're going to get a good shot. He didn't even really play. He didn't shoot that well in game one. And he was still awesome. He was, the other than Murray, the most impactful guy in the game. And I don't know how Phoenix is going to stop that. I haven't seen anybody really effectively shut down Denver's offense at home yet. Right? You've seen, like, they fuck around and whatever. But, man, I you know, and then on top of it, with Murray really looking like Murray again, this is what they haven't had for two years. You know? And then you think, you go backwards and think, like, man, could this all happen sooner for Denver if he just doesn't get hurt on that drive two Aprils ago, you know, and I, I 
I really felt like people underrated how important he was. Um, especially last year with the MVP for Jokic when it was like, really, we have to vote for this guy again? It's like, yeah, his team fucking sucks. You have to vote for him again. <laughs> he doesn't have the second best player in his team. And then you watch Murray against Phoenix. It's like, yeah, that's why Jokic should have won the second MVP because he didn't have that guy last year. So uh, I think it's lined up for them really nicely. And I still comment on the new guy energy that you saw with Phoenix. I still feel like there's some new guy stuff with them where it, there's moments and times and stretches where you can, you can feel Durant just trying to feel out who he's playing with. I, th I think this is a really hard thing to ask in a playoff series to just hear your new teammates. Well, first of all, you want to talk about not having your number two guy. They didn't even have the number three guy last year. I mean, for Jokic right. starts, Jokic started 74 games. The other big starters were Aaron Gordon. Monty Morris started 74 games. Will Barton started 71. Jeff Green started 63. Austin Rivers, shout out to his Our podcast guy. with Pasha. But uh, 18 starts for him. Michael Porter Will Jr. Barton's, started nine Will Barton's out of the league. Will Barton no, is now not, no longer on a team. He's not. He was he was he was with no, he's basically he's not he's not gonna be on a team next year. Uh, I don't well, the point is we, we're still making the same point, so I'm not gonna turn into a Will Barton's future argument here. <laughs> <laughs> I am despite, you know, the Chris Paul stuff and and liking and being a talent snob. You're absolutely right about the new guy energy. And I wish Monty Williams, I don't know if it's because Durant comes in and then then he's gone and then they come in and they win all these games and, you know, the stretch of eight games they won in the regular season, when you look at the schedule, they beat Denver twice, but Jokic didn't play in either game, so that's irrelevant. So that's not really even a win. Um, I I totally agree on the, on the new guy smell on this one, where it's just, hey, am I going or you? And then you could see Durant when it was starting to get away from him was like, well, I better be KD right now. Like, I better start doing this stuff. And the beauty of this group together is that they're all compatible, that Booker has had to both defer and be a point guard and be a two guard, but he's not going to take a ton of threes. You know, Durant is the most plug and play star that I've ever seen. I mean, other than Curry, which is the irony of them playing together. And then you know, you still felt like Aiton gave you enough, at least a little bit of size, but everybody's kind of soured on him for good reason because he's just he's just not there. And then Chris Paul could like play off of other guys. Like he wasn't gonna have to drive all the time. He was gonna have open looks. So it all made a lot of sense basketball wise, going, I know the bench sucks, but that should be enough. So there's a rooting interest of their outcome. But I think on the other side of it, like I'm I almost want Jokic to have his moment because I can't fathom whether it's watching him in game one, watching him in the Minnesota game where they came back and lost. And seeing him and going, hey, is it okay to admit if if you're a bit of a hater about this guy that you're just wrong? Because he's he's fucking filthy, and he finds a way. Like on all, he makes almost every possession a valuable uh, possession. He's capable of any of, of like even towards the end when you think it's over and it's going to be a shot clock violation. Then out of nowhere, it's one extra up fake and a no look, and there are, it's a finding somebody that nobody else was looking for. I wouldn't mind him going on a big run so that even the people that were most down on him, which again, felt a little Embiid-ish. I mean, I think it's like certain Philly bloggers that probably pay Amazon gifts to girls on Instagram. So I don't know how much I put into that. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't mind Jokic having like his absolute FU moment to everybody that's ever kind of doubted him, which I would admit, like, I think I'm not going to admit it, but I think someone would have to admit me like, maybe I didn't really watch this guy that closely and I just dumped on him all the time because I was rooting for somebody else to get an award. I watched him incredibly closely because I watched the Nuggets all the time. And I, he's one of the most additive players I've ever watched in my life. 
That's the best way I put it. He just makes everybody who's playing with him is better because they're playing with him. Look at Aaron Gordon's number. He's two different people. <laughs> right. Even, even like you can hear Bruce Brown has talked about it. And Bruce Brown's played with some great players, right? And he's just like, anyone who plays with the guy, you, you have to trust the quotes at least a little bit. And you can read the bullshit between the quotes, right? You can tell when it's like, I don't know, yeah, one right. of the Packers talking about Aaron Rodgers, like, yeah, oh, Aaron's a great player. Or it's like somebody when like the people that talk about Curry or the people that talk about Jokic or like the Lakers talking about LeBron this year, there's a different level of almost like evangelism touting. Like you don't understand how fucking great this guy is that we get to play and here are all the things he does and the coaches, the way they talk about him. This is why this is the part with the Duncan era that's probably going to get lost is the way everyone talked about Duncan when they like Popovich and all his teammates and the way like they just Duncan could have had 28 and 15 every night, but that's not what he was about. He just wanted everybody to succeed. And he was like a connector. And that's what Jokic is. Yeah, all these guys are better because they play with him. Now it sounds like we're having a double Jokic gasm, but I do feel like he's underrated. And I don't really fully understand it. I think it's like, only think us. Uh, no, I really do think it's, it's specific to the axis of all the bullshit hatred towards him from the Embiid camp. That's it. Because I saw which, a ton of it. It was all directed at you and I because we both had votes. We both know how personal and weird it got last year for you and I that we don't really talk about with people hitting us up. And like some of the things that were said to me where I'm like, wait, yeah, you like think off I'm like people in the league and stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And you're going like, you think I'm an idiot because I think Jokic is good. Like, what? right. And so, you know, you and I've talked about it and I'm not going to go too deep into it, but it's just it's insulting to anybody that like. It's just insulting to Jokic's game. Like, it's okay. Both guys can both be really, really good. And I know we spent way too much time on this already, and now it's turning into a Jokic and B thing, which is entirely my fault. But I can't imagine watching him at certain moments when he is at his best and he's in complete control of the game. Everything that's happening in the game is because of him. And yes, defensively, he doesn't hold up the way some other guys do. But I'm talking just like possession to possession. You feel like you always have an amazing chance because of the way he sees the game. And just point me to a player that's not better off when they're on his team would be the other thing. So then from a Phoenix standpoint. Nurkic. <laughs> By the way, Jokic in the playoffs this year is 26, 13 and a half rebounds, 8.3 assists. Up, oh, only shooting 47.5%. I don't know. Um, the Durant piece of this with Phoenix if they go down to nothing with the amount of uh, assets that they gave to him, I, I, I get it. Like you got to get to ramp. Oh, no, no. Are you? Them, uh -oh. No, 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 no. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do what you think I did. We'll do <laughs> like sure? the 20, 2028 pod <laughs> retradables. Are we sure Phoenix won the <laughs> <laughs> No. Here's my question for you. If the sun said, we'll put in bridges, but we get to keep Cam Johnson. And you'll get all the other picks that we're giving you plus the Crowder thing. Are they not saying no to that? Are they like, oh no, Cam's got to be in, or or this is a deal breaker for us? Are they really saying no? Like, I guess, is there a way the Suns could have just kept Cam Johnson and gotten Durant? That's my question for you. I'd like to think I like where you're going with this because you think. What else were you going to do? And remember, go back to the huge profile after the trade happened. It was like Durant didn't want to turn into a betting war, which 
as much as I love to rant, I didn't love that part because I'm like, wait, so you want out after you sign a four year extension, you want all of us fired and then you come back and then you tell us again after your little buddy freaks out that you want out, but you don't want us to actually get bids for you to compete against each other. We, yeah. we want it. Keep this, keep this under the radar, please. Yeah. Can just trade me to the one team and whatever the deal is, the deal. And that's what I demand of you. I mean, that's, that's some pretty. <laughs> I just think Bridges, Crowder, throwing another contract to make it work. Maybe they don't get TJ Warren back. And, and four first rounders in a swap is a fucking lot for a 34-year-old guy coming off two injuries during this season. Seems like a lot. And I, I think if they kept Cam Johnson, I would feel differently about the Suns. I don't trust their wings. And I think the fact that they're that, you know, the Raheem corollary of they're minus nine in every game because they don't hit threes. And then the how frustrating the Aiton experience is. So I I maybe they didn't care. Maybe they made this trade thinking this is a three, four year window. But at the same time, like it's kind of not, because I don't know how many years Chris Paul has left, right? And maybe you can trade eight in the summer, but what are you trading him for? You still need a rim protector. You know, like if they went to Cleveland and said, we'll take Jared Allen, we'll give you eight and, and throw another contract call it a day. Like, I don't know if they're in a different spot, you know, so. I just don't get eight and I don't get, I don't understand how you could be around this long and not care when you get your ass kicked. I don't get it. I don't get him not, but I mean, you know, look, not everybody's wired the same just because they're pro athletes. It doesn't mean that they have the thing inside of them where it's like, are you upset with yourself enough to compete harder? And if you're not ever Everyone upset with yourself. Everyone says he's an awesome guy, though. Oh, no, I'm not so talking about yeah. being a good guy or a bad guy. I'm talking but I, about Maybe like, he's just like a really nice guy. Yeah, he's too nice then. He's too nice. The three-point thing, and I've become a big Raheem Palmer fan because he's pointed out some stuff where I'll, at times I'll be like, oh, wait, I wonder you know, like if, if I should dig into that or whatever. But remember, like, there's a playing of the results of this, which can get a little weird because when they went on their run of the finals two years ago, what was it we all liked? They're like, hey, man, they're zagging on the entire league. Like yeah, they, yeah. All that area. Everybody's running people off the three-point line. They're contesting at the rim. So if you have the best mid-range guys and Paul and Booker, like, look how great this formula is because they were middle of the pack in three-point attempts this year. They were middle of the pack in three-point attempts two years ago when they went on the finals run. And uh, you know, honestly, that could have gone the other way for them. And we'd be talking about this mid-range by design. But when you when you get smoked like you do, and it looks like there's some unsolvable problems in this matchup for you. And I think your newness thing is very true. I, I'd love to see Monty kind of figure this thing out on the fly a little bit better. But I, you know, I think even go back to that Clippers series. Like to me, that game one loss was inexplicable that they did what they did at the end of the third quarter by playing Booker with four bench guys. So the fact that Monty even had that in him for his coaching resume for the playoffs here, it's like, well, that tells me like you're just, you still haven't figured this out yet. And that's kind of the job, even if it's really challenging with all the new pieces. The Bruins are down 2 nothing. No way. <laughs> My cousin Brian, who's the biggest Bruins fan I know, was super pessimistic this morning, and I thought that was a bad sign for them because he's usually an optimistic guy. Uh, Swayman's in goal too, right? Yeah, because Linus was hurt. Um, today's episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no instructional manual when it comes to life or any of the other stressful tasks adulthood throws your way. So many of us lay awake at night going through a list of what ifs. What if our home floods? What if I get into an accident? But State Farm is there for all of your what ifs. You're, you're a homeowner, Rosella. What are, what are some of the what ifs you have as you're trying to put your life together? Asteroid coverage. Is that, did they have that? Asteroid coverage? That'd be yeah, great. It's, it's not that bad either. You don't even um, notice it. Yeah, you, 
look, like we had a ton of rain in California over the winter, right? You're not expecting the floods. So you, you have like a basement. It's like, oh shit, my basement. Uh-oh, the attic. I thought I had that attic set. Wait, it just caved in. You just never know what's going to happen. shutters. All kinds of things. You never know. Oh, I bought this house. I didn't realize I had a little black mold in the in the guest room. Got to fix that. Never know what's going to happen. Um, you can file a claim on the State Farm mobile app. Or if you prefer to talk to a real person, including your agent, you can call anytime. It's what they do. Most importantly, they're with your guy, Chris Paul. Like if there's ever a trusted brand that you would ever want to have, it's like the 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 brand that has uh, kind Chris of Paul sense, and Chris Paul. I'm sentence, uh, sensing something in your tone right now that I don't appreciate. No, I, that was a positive. It was a positive thing. Maybe I'm just defensive. <laughs> You're really defensive about the sense these days. Uh, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You can call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Um, Let's go to Miami, New York. I thought the Knicks were going to win this series. Yep. I wasn't expecting the Kyle Lowry renaissance. Kyle Lowry in the second half of that game, he had four blocks for Silo in the second half. In the second half. He had a steal. He had 12 points. He kind of took over the game from an emotional, physical, uh, psychological standpoint. And... It swung everything. The Knicks, you know, they were seven for 34 from three. Wasn't a great Knicks game. They had no Randall. All the Knicks fans and the New York fans were like, oh, if only if we could just get rid of Randall, it'd be great. Like, this was a game you actually needed Randall because your offense was falling apart. They're throwing a wall at Brunson, trying to get him to give up the ball. Um, but to me, this was the Lowry game. Jimmy gets hurt in the last five minutes, sprains his ankle, and is basically a corpse for the last five minutes. New York doesn't put him in any pick and rolls, anything like that. But uh, Lowry is the piece I'll remember from this game. What about you? The start going, okay, enough of this. <laughs> Miami, who was the worst offense in some categories in the entire NBA, the worst offense clearly going into the playoffs and then was somehow the best offense, missing their best shooter. So when it's 32-21 after the first quarter and Miami is 26% from the floor, 23.5 from three, I'm like, hey, we're back to normal. Right. And then that's not what happened. So I'm looking at New York. We're on the phone. We're kind of going over like, what do you want to talk about on the show tonight? And I was like, okay. And as we're on the phone, like all of my thoughts about where these two teams were, it starts going the other way. Um, I think defensively, New York, especially the transition stuff, like figure out who's getting back. I know Kevin Love's incredible with these outlet passes. It was nice to kind of see that again after him making uh, – Tons of highlights. You go all the way back to Minnesota. Mm. He's he's like one of the best we've ever seen at UCLA. It. Yeah, right. But you know, this is this is elementary school shit. Like, figure out who the who the deepest guy is. And there's one time where Toppin actually was behind Butler, and Butler still beat him down the floor. But then Butler turns his ankle, and I'm thinking, okay, now everything's different. He stays in. So now I don't know what to do with this series because Butler couldn't move. He was a decoy the rest of the game. And Tibbs, who was a great coach, and it was also kind of funny to watch the start of this game going like, okay, this, these are two coaches that already have designs, they're already figuring out what they want to do. But I counted it as 12 possessions that the Knicks had the basketball after Butler stayed in with an ankle where clearly he couldn't move. They attacked him zero times. 
the most egregious being that when R.J. Barrett had Butler on him, he called for a, a screen and switched into Lowry. And so Lowry on these drives, they're not even like, they were sort of hybrid steel blocks where he's sweeping down on people. I can't believe everybody was on the same page of this going, why don't you just attack Butler once? And they didn't. That entire stretch, they don't score. Brunson scored at 94. It took them 10 possessions, 12 possessions to get another point before they scored again. I think Tibbs is a good coach too. Today was a 10-8 round for Spolstra. I scored a knockdown in the second half. I, I scored that a knockdown. Um, they, Miami comes out. They shoot a bunch of threes. I think they shot 21 threes in the first 20 minutes. Weren't really making all of them, but it was like, oh, here's a game plan. Then they switched to like this weird Lowry um, crazy defense game plan. Then Jimmy felt like he was starting to take over. Then he got hurt and it didn't matter. Um, the thing that's interesting, you know, and they'll do this from game to game where Bam's not involved at all and Bam's a borderline borderline Tobias Harris all-star where it's like, is Bam out there? Oh, he is. But then they'll have the next game and it's like they've clearly decided, Bam, today's your game where you're going to attack Mitchell Robinson at the foul line. We're going to give you space. And they still have that in their hip pocket for game two, which worries me if I'm a Knicks fan. They didn't really use the... The BAM, they don't like to do it seven games in a series, but two or three. And I think BAM pulling Robinson out and doing the foul line stuff with him is going to work. So now Butler's hurt. It's a different story. But I thought the Knicks were going to win this series. Now now I'm a little worried for them because Miami can also punt on game two and just send Jimmy back to Miami to rest his ankle if they wanted to, right? We got the game we wanted. Um, But I feel like they have more moves. And on the flip side, the Knicks, man... All of a sudden, those three stop going in. Josh Hart's like throwing up air balls. He must have had like six air balls in that game. Quickly, who people thought was the sixth man of the year, like he just hasn't looked that good in these playoff games. He looks like a really young player who doesn't know who he is yet. So I guess my thing if I'm the Knicks is like, if Randall's not 100% and they're going to do guard Brunson how they're guarding him, who's my second guy? Who's it going to be? Who's my guy who can potentially have like 28 to 30 in a game two? Maybe RJ? Well, it looked like it was going to be RJ, but then RJ gets a little frustrated. Like, I think that's the part of him where you need that next step of going, hey, if somebody's shutting you down, you can't Jordan Poole this. You know, I don't expect Jordan Poole to ever change. I still hope that RJ can. And this has been fun to see him kind of go, you know, this is why I went three. This is why I was the number one high school guy. This is why, like, I actually still would have trade value around the league, despite, you know, something that I've pointed out in the past, like the Grimes, RJ stuff at the end of games, not at the beginning of games, the end of games. And now Randall's gone, so it opens things up. And Mitchell and Hardenstein are good enough. Like, that's a really nice center rotation because, you know, I know Mitchell is kind of an up and down series of dramatic things that are annoying from a guy on a team it's like well you know look sorry dude we're not running plays for you but what that guy did in cleveland to close them out uh or against cleveland like i should say you you end up like really appreciating what he brings and like well if tibbs trusts him at the end of games <laughs> and, and he has to be doing something right because i think hardenstein does some really nice things as well so i think rj forces the issue a little too much he did it today lowry knew lowry was so good at it and there's this just, just an epic Lowry game, really like an old school throwback Lowry game. It's just a weird thing with Miami where if it's not Jimmy, it'll be like, oh, Lowry stepped up tonight. And Lowry had one of those games in the first round. And there's other games he looks unplayable. I love Caleb Martin. I love Caleb Martin's defense. And 
uh, Gabe Vincent got it going in the first half. And then there'll be a Struess game where you're like, wait, what the Struess isn't going to miss tonight. He's got 20 at the half. So I don't love the roster. We're over this. And I would hold back on the Bam Harris comps only because I know Bam at least is in the defensive movement almost all no, the time. No, I mean how they use him offensively. Yeah, where it's totally like he's right. just not totally involved right. in yeah. the offense for an hour. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm with you there. And what I liked about New York, which what we saw against Cleveland, where Cleveland too many times it's like you only have like two guys that can score, and then you have these big guys, and now they're getting their ass kicked on the glass. So what the hell's what's the point of what's going on here? And New York had always four dudes who felt like they were comfortable with the ball in their hands. But quickly's been bad now for six games. I mean, maybe people will say the closing game against Cleveland was pretty good because the totals were there. I I'm with you. I'm shocked because the thing I liked about him in the regular season is he actually felt like he could handle the moment when he was needed when Brunson was out. That's why I ended up voting him. Because I was going, dude, that guy had to do some things on certain nights where he had to carry them offensively. Ooh, he, do you have a little PVSD? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can get pills for that over the counter. Now, uh, I do have a little PVSD because I know the He's numbers like, for Brogdon were better, but quickly has been terrible. Brogdon's a better player. That is why I He's voted a, for Brogdon. He's, He's a better just player. a better player. Yeah. He just is. But yeah. um, the thing that surprised me about quickly is he looks frantic. He kind of like always he's does, not, though. He, Don't you think he's, he's even when it's going no, right? No, I'm saying playoff quickly is just like fucking spaz. Like, do you think? Get, do you think Bones Highland? Think Bones is texting him. You keep doing you, young king. <laughs> Bones Highland's the only one who thinks he's playing well. It's like I love what Quickly's doing. Um, he, there are a couple things that pop up if I'm a Knicks fan that I was just worried about in the deep recesses of my brain. One is like, is this Quickly thing real? Um. Two is the Mitchell Robinson free throw shooting. Like there's all these things Cleveland never explored um, in in the J.B. Bickerstaff debacle that was round one that somehow he's got his GM coming out being like, no, we're fine. We won 51 games the regular season. That strategy coaching was uh, apocalypse. Um, one of the things they didn't explore was just like maybe foul Robinson every once in a while and see if he could make a free throw. Like try to get in his head. The guy's walking around like he's Will Chamberlain. Like do something to mess with his confidence a little bit. Another thing was like, even the wall, you watch Miami, the stuff they were doing to Brunson, I didn't feel like Cleveland did any of that at all in the last series. So um, if I'm a Nick fan, the Robinson free throw shooting, quickly looking frantic, that Josh Hart air ball where it's like, maybe this is why Josh Hart's been on four teams already because... Um, Wait, you're off of Josh Hart now? No, no I'm in on Josh that. Hart. You can't I'm do just that doing, I'm doing Nick's fan psyche. Okay. It's all like, right, all oh, right. this is why we got Bruins just scored. Um, this is why we got Josh Hart because he just airballed that three. I don't get in the game two. They got to get their shit back together. They have to lay just. I think they need like a decisive big ass win and send it back to Miami. I my bet is Butler probably doesn't play in this game. I don't know because I think I'm never Miami got the game guy. they want. His leg could be missing, and I would be like, I don't know, probable. For game two. I mean, he just wasn't going to come out. He wasn't going to come out. It looked like he was going to be out. For, it looked like an ankle turn or he'd be out for the series. But again, ankle turns are weird. They can look horrible and you're fine. And there's also ones that, you know, don't even look as bad as the, the other ones. And, and you're like, that oh, one it rolled the right way. But what was weird was he was also kicking him to make it roll, which it almost looked like it was a combination rolled ankle, pr- probably like a foot bruise too. So I'll be you're interested like to a, see how it comes out. A little extra torque, maybe. Yeah, there's a, something I didn't like it. Um, Can I give you a quickly story though, real quick? I, I promise this is quick. 
because I know you're kind of like, oh, maybe he's not the guy. There's a lesson that's on the Knicks roster right now, because I remember back two years ago when Jalen Brunson was with the Mavs and they lost in that Clippers series. Brunson went from playing 20 minutes a game to almost unplayable, and he had, what, six, four games. He had a two-point game, a two-point game, a seven-point game, and a seven-point game. And remember, it was a little bit of like, oh, man. Like, he's, he's kind of like, you know, whatever. He's a nice player, but he's not really that guy or whatever. Um, I just don't like writing people off that I think have shown me over six months that they're pretty talented. But it hasn't been good. I'm with you. I mean, I, I personally witnessed him light up the Celtics twice <laughs> where he was looked like the week. best guy on the court. Hey, that's what they really needed from them was they quickly would have these random, he looks like the best guy on the court for an hour games. And we just haven't. Yeah, seen him. That's kind of his superpower. We haven't seen. Yeah, him you, you you would have thought there's like one twenty eight or in there out of these six games. Yeah, where like where like, he just punches above his weight for an hour. You're like, whoa, quickly. I have a I couple other that. topics from this. Was this last Aaron Rodgers' fault? Uh, Everything was great till he showed up. The Did vibes in New York were awesome. Now he's courtside. Now, now they're falling apart again. I don't know. Do you know how the courtside thing works? I know you have some courtside experience. How does it work? Do you just call and there's a certain level of fame that you have where it's understand that it'll be comp? And then I wonder if like it's a business expense where we go, we give celebrities tickets and then we can Why write off the Portland? value. <laughs> What's that? Wait, I don't know. So you, I was just doing like a, like you throw those things at me every once in a while. I was trying to dig back. Um, that was good. No, that was it's really two good. ways. I Thank just you. threw me off because I was like trying to do the courtside math. I'm like, have you been courtside less ways. than Portnoy? There's two two ways. One okay. is the team has a bunch of courtsides, right? They probably control, I would say, half of the courtsides at any given game. The Knicks so when do. They want so the home, the home arena team. team any home team. arena team. They have a bunch of court sides. They're so not all like, They keep them for themselves and they either give them out as comps or when they want to have celebrities or a playoff game like this, they're going to know like, all right, we have 20 seats. Who's going to get the 20? Now that becomes like a big, you know, you got this seat chart and it's like, oh, Rogers wants to come. Oh, but we, we Ben Stiller's already there. And then we, and you just got to, there becomes this little hierarchy that happens. So you have that. And then the other is ticket brokers where it's just the ticket brokers control at least a bunch of them. And you have some people sitting courtside who are like, whoa, I can pay for my tickets for the next three years with, you know, three next playoff games if I play this right. You're going to see it with Lakers-Warriors. Lakers-Warriors on both ends is going to be crazy because you're going to have Warriors fans trying to get to the Laker games and paying whatever to be courtside or somewhere near the court. And then flip side, Laker fans in Golden State you know, whatever. Either way, that's going to be the all-time courtside killing non-finals series, I think, Lakers-Warriors. Okay, but so it's... So Rodgers, Rogers calls in, or maybe that the means Jets somebody call gets for Rodgers. though. Right, well, yeah, Rogers doesn't call. Somebody from the Jets calls. That means somebody, Rogers is sitting in somebody's seat if that's a New York Nick controlled ticket. So maybe the Jets call, they're like, hey, man, Rogers, he's already a fucking problem. He wants to sit courtside. If you pull this off, you know, he's we'll do a quid problem. pro quo, quid pro quo opening, opening day. We'll take care of you guys with whatever. And the it's it's all deals. It's all I'll do this, and then you'll do this for me. All right, but except you're going, hey, does Julius Randle want to come to a Jets game? So go ahead. 
Yeah, you probably get more. The court side is probably not worth as much as like the two suite tickets or whatever. So maybe it's maybe it's an entire suite. We'll give you okay. a suite suite for uh, the second Jets home game. You give us the Rogers court side, something like that. But yeah, I mean, where, where it gets interesting, and this is a story that will never be written, but when you have, let's say, 20 seats, each one is a plus one. So that's 10 celebrities but there's 15 awesome celebrities that want the 10 seats. And now you're talking about, it's like a fucking game show where it's like, you're, you're basically ranking celebrities pyramid style. You're like, all right. Yeah. Ben Stiller. I mean, he's gotta be, he's, he's level one. He's on there. And you just go, Oh, Denzel wants him. Well, Denzel, he trumps Ben Stiller. He's more famous. And you're doing it that way. You pyramid it. That's what I want to know more about. And I don't know that I've ever seen like, cause I always think when, you know, when you watch enough Celtics games, like when the Pats will have like a, a new a new guy on the scene, like he's not a first round pick, he's like a fourth round guy, and then yeah. he wants to go to the Celtics game, and it's like, okay, maybe we'll have a couple court side for him, but he also might be like three rows back. It's like, hey, great seven catches against the Colts on Sunday, but you're not court side yet. Well, and that's when it really gets tough is when they've already mapped out who's sitting where. And then the three extra guy, like, oh, Brady wants to come. Like, I'm thinking, like, to, you know, 2018 Celtics. It's like, we already have everybody in their spot. Oh, shit, Brady wants to come. He's plus two. And if Brady's there, you have to put him courtside, right? Not no, saying, that's not really the Patriot happened. way. I think Belichick would respect him just being in Loge. If Belichick were really all about it, he'd be up in the 300s. Do Belichick's your job. another one. Belichick has to be courtside if he's there. Kraft, courtside. If you're but Celtics. I think I think the Patriot Donnie Wahlberg way. fucking courtside. What if Donnie yeah, and get, Mark both request in with separate parties? They go, Donnie, look. Blue Bloods has been great. I, but. I have one more Miami Knicks thing for you. It's a point I brought up. This will, I think, be the sixth time. Really? Cleveland had to just buy up <laughs> Kevin Love? Really? <laughs> Still trying to figure that out four months later. Like you want I, I've been on the record the whole time. I never understood it. It wasn't like Cleveland had the deepest roster. They had no backup big men. I think Kevin Love's pretty good. He's been in a bunch of big games. He had like a bad three weeks. They stopped playing him. He bounced out of the rotation. He's like, buy me out. They're like, okay, Kevin Love, you've done a lot for us. And now he's on Miami and he's still in the playoffs. What the fuck was that? I would be so mad if I was a Cleveland fan. I have no intel on this. Zero, but he does have a pretty powerful agent. And I wonder if it's one of those deals where everyone's like, how did that happen? And it's the agent, and the GM having a great relationship and saying, Hey, you're not really even using my guy, do him a solid. And then, you know, that's the part of the job that I just don't think enough of us talk about. I'm not saying I know that's what happens, but I know that his agent is one of the most powerful in the NBA. And I wonder if it's just kind of one of those deals where business is done. See, and we've talked understand. about this before. I just think these agents don't remember favors like that. They don't care. I don't. Okay. I think it's easy for us to say it on the outside. I, I've told it a couple times, but I'll just do it again quick. There was a time where there was a player that was available and Chris Wallace was with the Celtics at the time. And I was like, why didn't you do that instead? He's like, you know, when you make a promise to the agent, especially around the draft, like you, you got you to gotta stay true to your word. And I was like, you know, again, I was kind of younger being like, well, that's fucking stupid. Just draft the guy you want. It's like, well, no, it's just right. not. It's not the way you do business. So I don't know. Nick's heat. Knicks now minus 140. I'm um, sorry. The Heat are minus 146 on FanDuel right now. So they are uh, legitimately favored. 
Heat were minus one uh Knicks were minus one sixty heading into game one. So even with the Butler injury, it swung that much the other way after game one. Yeah. Wonder what they know. I wonder if they already have good word, good word on his ankle for that number to be at that already. Celtics line was around minus two eighty, minus three hundred range before the Embiid stuff started coming out, which we should probably talk about quickly. I didn't, you know, it's tough to speculate, but I have pretty good authority. He's not playing the first two games. That's what I'm hearing. I don't know. Maybe they'll flip that, but it seems like he's probably out. He's definitely out for game one, but I don't think he's going to be in game two either. And that's one of the reasons the line has shifted now in FanDuel. Celtics are minus 560 for that series. This was a good matchup for them anyway, right? They, them versus Philly. Like Brian Barrett had a good tweet today about how bad Philly's transition defense is, which has been the key every time Boston's played. They've just gone a little smaller, pushed the pace, and Philly can't keep up with it. And now you're taking a beat out of it. Harden definitely doesn't look 100%. Well, what do you mean I by just, 100%? I think it's just he's not who he used to be, and that's kind of normal for him. Like, I don't... Do you think he's actually hurt? I didn't like some of the stuff in the Brooklyn series around the rim with him, which has seen has come and gone during the season. But I think before he hurt his leg in March, I thought he was finishing a little better than what I saw in the Nets series. He just looked a little grounded in the uh, in the Nets series in a way that I wasn't 100% comfortable with. By the um, way, I can't believe he'd ever be that bad again at the rim in another series, even if something's lingering. And he was missing everything. But I also yeah. think he gets freaked out when he doesn't get free throws anymore. So when he doesn't get calls, and he's kind of going in to drive to miss for the call, and then when he doesn't get the call, it's like, oh, wait, I used to <laughs> like actually go at the rim with the intent of making the shot. Yeah. And it, I've noticed it messes him up sometimes because he's kind of waiting for that whistle. And it's like the refs don't respect him the way they used to respect him or they gave him that whistle all the time. And they, they'll be games and whether it's a series or not where it can happen. I know your answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If you're giving me Embiid on, a, on an injured knee playing not 100% in the rest of this Philly roster, is that a better roster than Atlanta's just talent-wise? Because I was, I was actually, and you've been on this the whole season, to your credit. You, you, you like the Atlanta roster. I do. I thought, <laughs> I thought in that Celtics series, I thought Atlanta played well, had some really good quarters and some really good stretches, and were pretty deep. Like a Kongu just comes in, he looks like he's the best center in the series for six minutes. You know, Hunter had a couple good games. Dejounte Murray had quarters where he just was doing whatever he wanted. Collins looked pretty good, especially in game six. Bogdanovich comes in and he's carrying them for six, seven minutes. Like, I thought they were pretty hard to play. And if anything, if Trey in game six, when he just completely fell apart, he goes one for 13, but that might've been a winnable game for them too. So I just felt like that was a really nice kind of primer for the Celts. And now you get to play the Sixers team that has their best player, might be out first too, and might not be 100%. And Harden, it's just maybe Atlanta's better than Philly. Wait, wait. <laughs> I'm Bucks, saying right, right now, this right, moment. Not, yeah. I'm not saying like whatever. I'm just saying if you're giving me Embiid at 70% and Harden coming off an injury and the rest of this Philly team versus from a talent standpoint, Atlanta a lot of talent. All right. Well, I feel somewhat validated by you saying because I felt like no one agreed with me every time I would talk about their roster. Go like it's actually 
good. But yeah, this is three years of being 500. And I would say three years of, of kind of being, well, can't say disappointing when they make the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago, but overall record-wise, like this has been a 500 team now. And granted, DeJounte, yeah. there's some different pieces, but as much as I was impressed um, with with what they did in that Celtics series, because I do think Boston's a better team, and they, you know, they they show some real fight. You know, I'll, I'll give Atlanta that. I don't know that I'm ready to go that far with it because I feel like the maxi part of it is is such a big element for Boston. And yeah, in that fourth game that they lost in the regular season. I don't know that they really cared about how many Embiid was going to get, especially when they did some of the defensive rotational stuff. But it was good for Embiid and for the you know the MVP push to have that kind of game against Boston and finally get a win against them. Uh, you're asking me to speculate on what diminished Philly would look like, and I would just say, well, I like I think Philly's better than Atlanta. Okay, I think they're better than Atlanta in a weird way now with Boston struggles and how Phoenix has looked and Golden State having to go to seven and the ups and downs, Lakers and Memphis. Like we, a week ago, I was going, hey, I know Philly swept, but some of that scares me. I actually now think we should give them more credit for taking care of their business and beating an inferior team, not screwing around, closing out all the games and being like, just get out of the way. So uh, with it, how Wait, messy hold on. All the, just right. so, just so, just so the Philly bloggers don't try to take this out of context and do their stupid things. Not that anyone reads blogs anymore. I'm saying Embiid with a knee brace on, missing the first two games, and then limping through the rest of the series. To me, you're not a 54 win team anymore because I don't know. From a talent standpoint, Embiid was the guy who made that team special. I like Maxi too. I think he's a really good player. Carden's a really good player. I was ready to vote for him for all NBA. But after that, it drops off. Like, I, I don't know how many of these dudes I, I trust in a big series, especially if they have to carry a bigger load if Embiid's hurt. The transition stuff is absolutely real. I mean, Harden doesn't treat the playoffs any differently. Like, you want me to run back all night? I'm not doing that. Right. And he won't do it in a playoff series either. It's insane to me. And I would say there's also some stuff defensively that their perimeter guys do. It's like, why are you closing out here? And why are you not closing out against this guy? Like, what, what's the confusion on understanding your scouting report, which you think will improve multiple games against the same team against the playoffs? But it already was kind of a tough matchup for Philly. Not impossible. But, I mean, how am I supposed to project any of this stuff when Doc Rivers is telling us? I mean, did you see the video footage of Embiid practicing? He wasn't really doing anything. He was just shooting. It wasn't like he was really going through a ton of movement. I heard he's not practicing at all. He was getting shots up and he was in. Yeah, but he's not. Yeah. PJ Tucker averaged 26 and a half minutes a game against the Nets. And he scored four well, points total and shot 20%. I don't care. I don't, I don't care because <laughs> I think he brings something to them they actually need. Yeah, if you have jo a healthy Joel Embiid on your team. Paul Reed, who I think we both really like, I don't know if he's ready to play like 38 minutes in a playoff game. I don't think he can stay on the court. I think he's just going to get fouls. It's a great spot for the Celtics. And the reason I bring this up is they have to lay the smack down these first two games. This is a fucking gift. Whether Embiid looks like he's not going to play. Even if he does play, he's going to be compromised. You got to run this team off the court. You're home. You already have these huge transition defense advantages on them. You have more talent. Like, just, just blow this team off the court. Don't fuck around. And the problem, the reason I bring this up is the Celtics history is in game one, they'll go up 61 to 32 in the, in the second quarter. 
And then you'll look up a half hour later and it'll be 89, 83. You'll be like, what happened? We're up 30. What's going on? I want to see this team go for the kill. And I don't know if they have it in them. And this will be a nice test because they should not lose these first two games. How about this for a greeny tease? Yeah. Why no Embiid is actually a win for Philly fans. That's next. next. Yeah. If Embiid doesn't play as a compromise and Philly loses, then you can't really say that your team lost and that Embiid isn't the MVP for failing in the playoffs because he was hurt. So we get to do this all again next year. Fair. Let's take a break because uh, we have we have a game we, we want to call. What do we call it? What do we do now? Yeah. What do we do now is next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. We're going to play a game called What Do We Do Now? Priscilla has been frothing at the mouth for days to properly lay into this Memphis team, which brings a lot of things to the table that you and I just don't like. Um, talking a lot of shit, not backing it up, carrying yourself like you've won something when you've won nothing. No accountability at all after the fact. Um, I talked on my podcast about I, the Brooks thing, like him punching LeBron in the balls, I just thought was one of the weak sauce moments of the last 10 years. Not just that it was a punch in the balls, but um, I say it's fucking LeBron. He's a generational icon. And at some point you have to have respect when people at a certain level, like Curry and LeBron going backwards, Jordan and Russell and whoever there it's, it's not a long list. And show show those guys a little respect. Talk shit to them. Stand up to them. Show them you're not afraid of them. But don't fucking... You can't punch LeBron in the balls. I'm so out on Brooks. To me, it's like, that guy can go to China. I, I don't care if we ever see him again. Not apologetic. Just such a loser. The whole way about it. Like, just a fucking loser about it. Um, and it, to me, it's like a cultural thing where this... People don't act like this in a vacuum. It's not like, whoa, can't believe that these guys have been acting like this for two years. Something obviously needs to change. And I wonder what's going to change. You have the floor. Well said. Well said. Um, I don't know that there's been a team in recent memory that I went from enjoying their personality to despising it this quickly. <laughs> It'd be like finding out that DiCaprio's best friend is Skip Bayless. <laughs> And I'd be like, wait, what? Skip Bayless? That's just like, yeah, they really yeah, they like work him. out together. Yeah, yeah. He thinks he's thinks he's really good. Be like, what? They're the like, same hair guy. Do I need to go back and watch Catch Me If You Can? Did I miss <laughs> some things? So you said something though that I, I might slightly disagree with. When they in the regular season were going at it with the Lakers, 
you know, when you're winning, we like that stuff. You know, one of my favorite playoff series ever is the Young Thunder going up against Kobe and the Lakers, where it was oh, immediately yeah. apparent where they're like, we're actually not afraid of you at all. I love that. We okay? both love that. Right. And or 09 Bulls against the Celtics. Like we've seen young teams that are like, no, actually, we're here and yeah, we're, we're going to go at you. And that's what it felt like with Memphis. I think there's a specific thing to that city that all of us really like. Now, you know, yeah. even if you've been on the fence, like to me, neutrals, uh, like Memphis is a neutral city in all of our fandoms for, for a lot of us. Yeah, nobody's specific. like, I fucking hate Memphis. Right, right, right. You appreciate it. You know, going back to the grit and grind and Tony Allen yeah. and, and, and Randolph and all this kind of stuff, you were like, man, I know they didn't really ever win, but you know, that's a fun team. That's like a real identity. And they're doing it a little different than some of those other things. So I've always appreciated it. And this was kind of like grit and grind 2.0. And Jaws is much fun as almost anybody in the league. Uh, Jaron came along this year. But even last year, there were warning signs in that Warrior series. There really were. Like Jaws, you know, code break bullshit where it wasn't even a foul that was like anything intentional to be dirty. And then he's yeah. tweeting and then he's immediately on social media with it. And then when Memphis beat them and they're playing whoop that trick and then Draymond's going back and forth. There, this is the first time where I even said it on the podcast. I go, I kind of want Golden State to kick their ass. Yeah. I kind of want Golden State just to kick their ass a little bit, being like, I like the bravado. And there's this isn't really even fair, right? Because there's where's the line where I love your bravado and now I don't like it? Well, I don't know when it happened. I don't know. I can't tell you definitively when that line happened. But to see this group and, and look, I'll just say it like the job picture thing. I didn't. I wasn't like, oh my god! I have to reassess how I feel about John Morant. I mean, I'll admit, like, all right, it was stupid, but I don't really care. Like, I, I didn't. I don't know if that speaks poorly of me. And then he goes away for nine days, and I was listening to the Jalen Rose. I don't know how it happened again, but I caught the interview, and it was so classic. Like, hey, go away, come back, apologize, say I need to do this, I need to do that, all the stuff that's at stake. He gets a shoe. Nike's promoting it during the games because it's like, man, yeah. we're still kind of all in on this guy. Gave him a signature shoe um, to see it's those. Like, they are the ultimate front runners. Like, Jaw dancing around when they're up 20 and then when they're down three down one in a series right right and so and then to see those guys go back to the bus and like laughing about it and everything they didn't have adams they didn't have clark you know they lose canard in the last game so there could be an overreaction about like hey if they get everybody back they're probably gonna be a top four team next year and maybe they grow from this but i would say currently right now I don't know that I've ever 180 this quickly on just the personality of a basketball team as much as I have with them. And I remember seeing them in summer league and I did a whole segment about how much I love seeing those guys in the weight room and how nice they granted they were really nice to everybody and professional and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not saying like that didn't happen, but the way they carried themselves and all the bullshit, not talking to the media afterwards and just the immaturity of it all. I really didn't like it. There you go. Small city, biggest game in town treated like heroes, the whole thing where sometimes it's almost like a college, like a college team, right? Where there's a lack yeah. of accountability with the behavior. Um, it bummed me out for a variety of reasons, but I think this was kind of the underrated one where they didn't, this was Jaws last year on a rookie deal, right? Next year it kicks in. He's making like 33. Him and, uh, him and Triple J next year is 60 million combined. So they actually had some salary cap some salary cap kind of advantages this year, a little along the lines of the rookie quarterback thing in football. And they didn't go for it. They had Zaire Williams they could have traded. They had all their first-round picks. They didn't really do anything other than get Luke Kennard. And now, 
as I look at this in mid-April, I wonder like, should that have been more of a red flag that Memphis, the team, the organization didn't want to go all in on this team. It's almost like they knew, or it's like, nah, this isn't the year to like trade three firsts for OG and Anobi or whatever, whatever else was on the table. They didn't really do anything. So I, I think there's deeper issues here because if they really felt like this was a contender and, the, and Bain and Triple J and Ja was the nucleus that could take them four rounds, they probably would have gone in a little harder and they didn't. And that was before all the Ja stuff happened at the end of February. So I, I think all this stuff's related. Brooks clearly isn't coming back. Um, I'd be shocked, right? Wouldn't you be shocked if they were just like, hey, good news, we've signed Dylan Brooks for three for 60. I don't see it. I like to me, a sign and trade is way more realistic. Well, he's not going to China. Um, I mean, I know everybody likes making that joke, but he's still good enough. I mean, he's going to play in the NBA. Let's not lose lose sight of this. No, he I went know, wrestling heel. He didn't know how to do it. He wasn't good enough. He went at the top guy, and then when it was time to answer for it, he didn't want to do it either time. And that's really, really lame. Like he he built this castle of bullshit for himself, and then he couldn't get out of it. And then there'll be some interview this summer where he'll actually say nobody understood. It was all misconstrued. And it was the fucking media's fault. So that one's coming. You know, Job will yeah. do the Job 2.0 point whatever again he'll do another one of those sit downs he'll do it with somebody where he knows he's not going to get asked questions that are too tough and it'll all yeah. be organized ahead of time and they're all going to say there. and look they're going to be healthy so they'll probably be pretty good i'm there's there's also part of me that looks at like de- uh, the whole memphis thing where like they let kyle anderson go but they wanted to kind of reinvent the depth around him with laravia and some of the maneuvering i actually appreciated that i thought they were trying to like make the current surrounding pieces better the ceiling yeah. Yeah. And and so yeah. I thought it was bold and I was okay with it then. I was I was um I would say I don't know, I, I was complimented them when they did it. So I'm not gonna run back and say, hey, because I think that's the biggest mistake we can make in these days, right after somebody's eliminated and acting like they're gonna be all different rosters. And usually they're not, because you're like, hey, we're still gonna be pretty good and whatever. Well, and going it's that backwards, we both like the Jaw Triple J Bane. It's like you're if that's your rock, you're you're in pretty good shape if Jaw's head's on straight. Those are your top three. I'm, I think that's a winnable foundation to win multiple rounds in a playoff series. Now they got to figure out the rest of it. The Brooks thing was so detrimental. I never liked his impact on that team. I always thought my two least favorite types of players are like the type of player Brooks became last year and this year thinking he was better than he is. And then the Dinwiddie type who just dribbles for 20 seconds. Like if, if you put Dinwiddie and Brooks on the same team next year, I promise you, I won't watch one minute of them on league pass. I'm just, <laughs> just sign me up for zero minutes on, on that combo as a backcourt. But you know, this is a kind of a miss for them. I know, I know like, cool. We hit some, we hit some draft picks. We have a couple stars, but with how wide open the West was the last couple of years, with how vulnerable Golden State seemed last year, and then to, you know, lose to the Lakers in six, you don't even get out of round one. They were the two seed. And that series wasn't close. Like we talked about in part one, like I didn't think they had any chance of winning that series after game four, like zero. So it's hard for me to say you can't do anything or like just ride it out for one more year. I, I At the very least, they have to figure out Bring in another adult. Maybe you have to part ways with Brooks or sign and trade him, but you can't like run it back with the nucleus they have. I don't think. There's also something else you could ask where you go, do we all love Jaw so much in the beginning 
And even if you're off of him now, and I'm not off of him because, again, all the stuff that happened, I'm off of him because the guy that I watched in this series, and I'm like, wait, you're going to do this shit when you're down 3-1? You're going to do this all night long? I also don't think he's too reckless. And we've talked about that for three years, but I don't think it's sustainable the way he plays. He's got to figure out a plan B for some of this stuff. Like he was doing in this Lakers series. It's just, I watched it in person in game four. There's two or three plays where he's just like, I'm going to the rim. And if I break my neck, I don't care. This is who I am. It's like, I don't know if you can be that way. I don't think it's sustainable, but I'm I'm not going to say I don't love it because when it works... It's great. Everyone loves it, but he's going to fucking get hurt. Like it's not the only person we've ever seen play like that and not get hurt is Westbrook, who's an alien. Yeah. Westbrook had a, had a broken bone in the side of his head. You could see the dent in the side of his head in the Portland game. (laughs) And he was like, all right, check ball. Um, (laughs) Yeah, maybe we'll call 20 second timeout. He dude, he had a dent in his head and he was like, we're good. We're good, man. Uh, so they have the Brooks sign and trade. They have all their firsts and they have all their young guys and <laughs> could clearly do something. I just don't know what that is. No, because they may have a core three where you go, that's really good. And I would agree with you. But the other danger sometimes is like, hey, our three are pretty good, but they're not as good as the three big contract guys on these other teams. Yeah. And I, I, I like the step that I saw from Jackson this year offensively. I did. I did. Me too. I, really did. I think Jackson I did. and Bain, I really like those guys. Yeah. So and they're, they're fine. It's just, I also think they need to do some sort of something that signifies. We actually understand that this wasn't great. So we'll see next team, Cleveland. They got Garland and Mitchell at 67 million. They've Jared Allen making 2020 and 20 next three years. They that, have feels 19, like, that feels like a lot this week. Feels like a lot. They have 19 million next year for Wade, Rubio, and Osman, who barely played in that Knicks series, did nothing that I can remember. Levert's a free agent. He defended and Brunson for a little while. Utah gets their 25, 27, and 29 first and pick swaps in 26 and 28. It's not great. What do you think? No, the other thing, well, um, Mitchell's Mitchell's player options two years from now, so that's fine. Uh, can we can we at least be on? What do they? Move? It goes from DefCon five to DefCon one. Right? Five Defcon is the one's worst. The worst. Right, is five yeah. the worst or one's? I thought one was the worst. Five's the worst. Yeah, I think it's actually the other way, and that's why people get confused. Like two podcast hosts. Right What's now. the lowest one? The least amount of concern or the most? The least amount of concern. But it's you're still in the DEFCON chart. That's one? I think five is the worst. Kyle, definitely use this for the breakout. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the least amount of concern. Oh, DEFCON one is the worst. Okay. Oh, it is? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to I'm gonna put this on DEFCON five. I'm just, I've just alerted everyone in the security to just keep an eye on this. Just the Mitchell quotes for the next six weeks, whether he loved his Cleveland experience or not. Just wanna, I just, I'm just looking out for it. If he's a quiet summer, so be it. But I'm still on DEFCON 5 for it. Because he couldn't have been like psyched how the playoff series went. Plus, like just going forward, like does he make sense with Garland? Um, the coaching piece of it, who knows? And the fact that they, this is kind of their team now? Why are you laughing? 
<laughs> just how bad the DEFCON thing was because I ended up screwing it up. I don't know my DEFCON. I love this and the audience loved it. It just yeah. makes us more human and more normal and relatable. Yeah, because I didn't even really realize because I'm looking at it now. I stopped listening two minutes ago. Why does DEFCON <laughs> 5 tell. even exist? <laughs> Why does it even exist? It just, it means exercise term, fade out, lowest state of readiness. Like we might be above DEFCON 5 now and that we could be at a four and not even know. Five sounds like things are really good. I I uh I did the opposite when I did the Pantheon in my book. I made level five was the highest because that just seemed to make sense. Like as you climb numbers, the levels would go up. But uh, the government apparently went the other way. Anyway, I'm on DefCon Five with the Mitchell Watch. Just do you think the I'm government curious. ever? Do you think they ever revisit this? Be like, why did Brad do it this way <laughs> in 1868? Why did we do it this way? I don't really know what their moves are, Rosillo. Apparently, we're at DefCon Three right now. You think we are? No. Oh, America is at DEFCON yeah. 3 right now. Really? Yeah. Air Force oh, ready Jesus. to mobilize in 15 minutes. That would make sense. Helicopters going by my place constantly. I I feel like we should have known that. Yeah. How's that? I mean, between, seems like significant. There's some stuff that happens. Our, our desensitization to certain headlines is fat. Like, hey, we got aliens. And here are the secrets. Be like, okay, but are you... Did Megan really say that to Harry's cousin? <laughs> oh, like you would have loved they showed Megan and Harry in the Jumbotron at the Laker game. And the, the crowd made a noise I've never heard before. And I've been to lots and lots, lots of noise. Games. Can you can you recreate it? You know when you go into a restaurant and there's that sound of just a lot of people talking? Right? It's like a crowded restaurant. And you yeah. walk in, it's just like a din of voices just in conversation. They showed them on the Jumbotron. Wasn't really any booing. There was no cheering. And then the din of a restaurant kind of popped up where just everybody kind of started talking about them on the Jumbotron. So it was like 20,000 people just leaning to the person next to them going, oh, these fucking people. And that was the noise for 10 seconds. But not a lot of booing or anything. It was not, not negative. I think she could have That's done That's what I took away from it. Yeah. So you have no you have no fix for Cleveland, nothing. I doubt they're going to do all that. I mean, I'd love for them to figure out that third guy between the Chetty, Lavert, Akogi, excuse me, or Coro, Akogi's on Phoenix. Um, I'd like that Levert's to be a free agent, so he might not even be there. No, they could I, sign and trade him, but I don't know who they're signing and trading him to because there's a million wings in the league. You know what their fix is? Is Mobley being somebody who offensively is somewhat of a threat. And he can do a lot of things, and we all like him. But that was... It was bad. That was bad. I'm not selling my stock, but listen, I I did have a couple meetings and talked to my people about it. Like, hey, what's our position? How are we feeling about our mobile stock? Should we get off? Should we, should we push some of it to somebody else? Like, there were conversations. You got an E-Trade, just cold call from a guy you've never even talked to, being like, hey, Bill, look, I know you want to hang up. My name's Bruce. I'm over Saw here at E-Trade. Yeah, I just was looking at it and I just, you know, like you've got a ton of Mobley stock. There's this Jerry Sheesting IRA. I don't even know <laughs> if you knew about this, but so we'd like to, we'd like to just kind of diversify this a bit more. Got this guy, Butte on LSU. He's going to be a late round pick for the Pats. You may want to put some there. Uh, next one. What do we do now? You, you were terrible for what do we do now with Cleveland? You offered no suggestions, nothing. Just, you kind of brushed them off. If I'm a Cavs fan, I'm like, really, Rosillo? Like it was a mail-in. 
I've, I've said they have to upgrade that third scorer role. Okay. They have okay. to. All right. They All have right. to upgrade this third scorer rule. So uh, the mid level. Go get they, somebody they, who can score a little bit from the wing spot. You can't have lineups where two guys definitely don't have to be guarded. And sometimes yeah. it's a third. So this isn't new. Fair. I already think I did an episode on this in particular. You know, like I just Fair. always think back to those Thunder rosters where imagine a playoff game today where it's Westbrook and Durant and then the other three guys can't score. And they used to have like Perkins and uh, Robertson out there at the same time. Like imagine a team doing that in the playoffs. I think that started NBA Twitter. Everyone was so outraged when they would do that that I think that was when NBA Twitter was officially born. People think just they, being they'd still win outraged. games. Imagine yeah. what you would see a team do defensively. Because I still think back then there was a traditional sense of like guarding your guy and yeah. you would help and you would do. Ter- if that lineup rolled out in a game today in the playoffs, it would be hilarious. It would just be, hey, we're going to guard four. We're going to guard two with four and ignore everybody else. And if Jeff Green hits a three, so be it. Let's take one more break and then we can do Atlanta and wrap up. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right, first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, last team for what do we do now? The Atlanta Hawks, who we discussed earlier, atypically glowing terms. Murray is $18 million next year expiring. Collins, Capel, and Hunter do $66 million combined. Trey is on the books for 40, 43, 46, and 49 next four years. And San Antonio gets their 25 and 27 first and a 26 pick swap. They also have the Okongwu, um contract that I think they could extend if they wanted to this summer. A um, lot of pieces, a lot of talent. And the Murray thing is the big question. How do you pay Murray? Do you keep Murray and Trey together? What would you tell them? Well, because you paid Quinn all this money and you gave him this long-term deal, you have to imagine he told everybody he could fix Trey because Trey is still the darling to this ownership group, uh, which we all know. So considering he came in towards the end of the season, 
And yes, they fought harder. I mean, there's still clearly an issue. So I don't know if you can ever get through to trade. Like we need you, like Quinn Snyder needs to figure out, we need to change our approach a little bit. It can't be as ball dominant. You have to remove those five to seven, hey, look at me plays that you have every game. You are the best on the dribble lob that maybe I've ever seen. I'm serious. He's so good at it. He has all these different variations of it. It's ultimately the same thing every time. But clearly, he's doing stuff different. When, how quick he gets off, how quick he gets passed out, he's awesome at it. They need to find something that's not your turn, my turn with DeJounte. His teammates have to feel a little bit more involved. I don't know if it ever gets through to Trey. I don't know if it happens this year. I also wonder if game five, Trey, means you get more of the Trey that doesn't seem to win a ton of games longer term. Because do you think Trey left this series going like, hey, I need to adjust? He's probably like, I'm, I'm fucking awesome still. Like, you guys can adjust to me. If Quinn can get through to him to just, you know, figure out a little bit, the size thing's never really going to be solved. But, I mean, still, when you blitz him, he could turn the corner on you because he's so damn quick. The defensive thing's never really going to be solved. It's just an effort part of it. But he might not understand, like, giving up a little means more for him as a team until there's a couple more years of losing games. So the whole trade-tray shit, as bad as it could have gotten this year, you're not going to like what the market is for him. You're probably getting somebody else's other problem that plays a different position. Um and if you used all these assets, you're going to have to keep Murray anyway. So I would try to get through to trade. It just, hey, you need to figure out a way to unlock some of the talent around you. Because I think, as you saw against Boston, there's a little bit more talent there from what a 500 team has been the last couple of years. Are you more dramatic I guess the about question, this? The question for me is, if I'm going to pay Murray, which I'm going to have to do to keep him, and the CBA made it a little easier, but it's still pretty hard to get to where you actually need to go with that contract. Or do you trade Trey this summer? And if you do, what's the trade? And thank God for us. I'm the Picasso of the trade machine and I have a little three-teamer for you. Miami gets Dame Lillard. Portland gets Trey Young, the 23 Miami first. And Miami first in 28 and 30. And Atlanta gets Tyler Harrow in the old, old Depot expiring. And here's, here's why this trade will never happen. But here's why I thought of it. If I'm Atlanta, can I turn Trey into a cheaper asset who's maybe not quite as good, but is a better fit for the roster I have and then give the extra... 10, 12, whatever million it is, push that toward Murray and make the bet on Murray instead of Trey. That's the only way it makes sense to trade him is if you're getting an asset back and then I can take some of the Trey money and push it toward Murray. But I'd really have to think Murray is like a guy that I can build around and I'm not positive he is. The other move would be to just trade Murray this summer, which would be crazy because you gave up two firsts and a pick swap for him on top of the other stuff. Either way, I don't know how you just say th the Bruins just scored. Either way, I don't know how you say things are fine. Let's roll this back because I don't think those two guys belong together. That's my expert opinion after watching them for six months. It's a backward that doesn't make sense to me. Um, can you say again exactly what? Do you mean just the the outgoing Atlanta is sending out Trey? <laughs> And what else? So Atlanta is basically sending out Trey and that's it. There's no, and they're picks, getting they're back Tyler Harrow, no picks. And they're getting back Tyler Harrow and Oladipo. Oladipo is an expiring. He's hurt. He's not going to play next year. Right. 
Miami would be sending out Hero, the Old Depot expiring, and three firsts, which they would do if they got Dame, I feel like, every time, unless they make the finals. But it's, 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 I'm just giving you the framework of a trade like this, because I think that's what you have to think if you're Atlanta, is how do we get Trey? How do we get a cheaper guy back who's maybe a better fit with our roster? And the flexibility of that when Trey in three years is going to be making $49 million a year, we're getting out from under that because we've seen some things in the last couple of years that make us think maybe this isn't a guy we can win a title with. All right, just so you're aware, we're on the air. You were worried about the Philly blogs aggregating something you said? (laughs) (laughs) You got to do better than Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero's 27 million bucks this year, this upcoming year. Would you rather pay Tyler Hero 27 million or Trey Young 40? I know I'm what you're doing. You. You're, you're thinking about the future math and, you, and you're doing something that's smart here. But I'm looking at Atlanta and the way they run the operation who wanted Trey Young because of tickets more than they wanted Luca. And there's no way they're going to do anything with Trey for something that feels like a complimentary piece in Tyler. All Hero. right, so let's, so let's take Miami out of this. Let's just say it's Trey and some 20 to 29 and 31 first and maybe a Kongu's in it for Dame. I, to me, that doesn't make sense for them either because you just did it. You just did the small high usage guard who shoots a ton who can't. Oh, but and now I'm getting the older version of somebody right. who has a more of a winning pedigree, but now I've just, I've shortened that by 10 years and I'm not sure that guy can even play with Murray. Like if I'm trading Trey, I want to get like a, a wing shooter back so I can make Murray my point guard. You like this. There, there's a, there's a light in your eye right now because I'm on to something, but I can't land the plane on it. I know. I like what you're doing because you're thinking ahead so much on this one, but I'll, well, I'm I just thinking don't know about, how they're going to keep Murray. I, I don't. I don't see a path for them keeping him where this all works out. Well, they could trade Hunter, um, but I don't know that with his contract. I don't know that people are in love with him, even though I still think there's some talent there. Then there's a Capella decision, which is why Congo's there. So I think there's some stuff they could do where they go, okay, well, this means if we're doing this, that we're going to be tightening up. What at one point I thought was kind of like a nice seven or eight man rotation. You're also going to have to the decision on Bay. Uh, and Jalen Johnson, who I thought was like a complete do not draft at Duke, saw nothing from him. Still thought at moments he was a little scared at times, but there's a high end ceiling version of him with some moments too. Where you're like, look at that guy. Like, mm. whoa. So I think they may have something there, but who knows? You know, I've been saying that about Kaminga now for a year. So uh, I, this is not what this ownership group would do. They would not trade. A Trey at his worst is an inefficient superstar in their city. Okay. And there's still so many people that believe in him. And I think people are more emboldened from this series than they are like out on him. The first two games, it was starting to feel like, oh, here we go again. Because then the one that always gets thrown around, like what would the market be for him? It's like, would you do Trey Cat? It's like, would you do? Would you bring Trey to Anthony Edwards? Like you wouldn't want to do that to him. But like, hey, don't. by the way, yeah, hey, not only do we trade all of our future assets for Rudy Gobert, who's just in your way, now you get to watch Trey Young shoot 26 times a game. Let me at, remove the, <laughs> remove the Atlanta City part of it. I'm just asking you personally. Would you rather have Trey Young at 40, 43, 46, and 49 for the next four years or Tyler Hero at like 27, 29, 31, 33? 
No, you're right. I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to take the trade side of this because I still think that we have enough evidence over time. I just think it's too much right. money. I would probably just start going after Toronto being like, what do you guys want to do? You know, maybe a new coach. Oh, hey, I can fix them. This will be awesome. Pick off a couple of their assets, you know, a little precious. Maybe you get one of the two wings. So, so you're saying Scotty Barnes? Yeah. Or in a Van yeah. Vliet. Yeah. Well, Van Vliet's a, uh, he's a free I don't see Masai trading for Trey. Would you take Jalen Green for him straight up? You just dump his salary completely and you get a rookie contract back and Houston has all this cap space and they want to make an impact. They have Ime. Feel like, oh, we got the right coach for him. And you're Atlanta, you're like, just rebooting. We just saved 40 million or 35 million in salary. We got somebody who matches with Murray. And now we're in the uh now we're in the Jalen Green business. Van Vliet's player option. Um, the Jalen Green one's hilarious because it's like I've been I've been groomed for this role. Do I get to do the same shit that Trey did? Because <laughs> I can do that. I can I'm I'm your guy, I'm plug and play. <laughs> and by the way, Trey's Trey's a lot better than Jalen Green is. So I'm I'm not gonna make that sound like I'm I'm knocking Trey there. I don't know what Houston's gonna do. Would Shengun immediately ask for a trade? Like, hey, are you guys serious? Can't do this again. Guys it seems dribbling like around. Houston wants to get frisky this year. It this does summer. feel like Houston wants like to get wanna, frisky. They want to spend some money on some guys and make a run it. I, I think Fertitta's just ready to go. I I think it's crazy that he took that job over waiting to see what would happen with some of the uh, bigger jobs. He just would have waited. Maybe maybe he had intel that Cleveland wasn't going to do anything, which remains nuts to me. But um, and then with Milwaukee, like now we found out, poor Coach Buddy lost his brother during that series. I don't know if that that's going to affect whether they bring him back or not. But um, I don't. That Milwaukee's another one where I don't know what their move is either. Not have, trade five second rounders. Hey, not trade five second rounders for Jay Crowder, who, by the way, like I know the three point numbers are good. Did you watch him that much when he came back and played with him? He's bad. And he was he was declining anyway. I always felt like he's a we little overrated. We said that last year yeah. in the Dallas series. He just felt it felt like he wasn't a winning player anymore. We That's need to always so we need to footnote that in history. Like who would, had the least amount of basketball juice that got their way were another team also. And I'm going to go through it again, too, like of all the dudes that everybody freaked out about on the buyout market and all these guys. Like Denver doesn't even use their buyout guys. Christian Brown plays over their options. And by the way, Christian Brown had like three nice defensive plays against Kevin Durant, of all people, where I'm like, wow, he got him again. He was good. I, I think he's been good for a couple months now. We have, uh, I forgot to do this one, the the... Up 20 All-Stars, the guys who, when they're up 20, are unstoppable. We were talking about this when we were calling before about, uh, it's basically D'Angelo Russell and then Team how Morant. many Grizzlies do you want to put on? <laughs> Just <laughs> you want to that. just put everyone in the Grizzlies? Yeah, it's D'Angelo Peyton, Russell. Yeah, it's D'Angelo Russell and four Grizzlies, but go ahead. And Peyton Pritchard is the sixth man. Peyton Pritchard coming in in game 82 with when no starters are out there or, or in a in a blowout looks like he's the future of uh, like the next John Stockton. I like Peyton Pritchard. I would have traded for him. If I were Dallas and my choices were get on the Kyrie roller coaster and give up my 29 first and Finney Smith and Dinwiddie, whatever you think of him, or 
plan B is just like, just do a protected first for Peyton Pritchard. I would have done the Pritchard and and not not gotten on the Kyrie roller coaster. That's just me. I would have quit. T- I would have resigned if if an owner <laughs> and if an owner made me trade for Kyrie and then have to make a decision to give him four years of money, I'd be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit next to Mike Woodson. <laughs> oh, I caught with you. I meant yeah, I, I meant Sam Mitchell, and for some reason I typed Mike Woodson. I'm having all these old guy tweet moments now. You tweeted that one the Bruins could be scored. Sick. By the way, three two Bruins. Bees, bees are back. Can we yeah, watch the bees? That. Yeah, let's watch the bees. Uh, Can we end this we go, pod? Watch. The yeah, bees. we're gonna end the pod. NFL draft. Any thoughts before we go? Butte was a baller two years ago, man, a baller. So I don't know that his attitude was the best there towards the end. He was certainly frustrated. There were some playmakers. There was a couple guys that didn't really love the direction, new coach, everything coming in, getting on their quarterback. Uh, He will yell at Mac Jones early, uh, which would be great. But if he's anything like the guy I saw two years ago, that's I can't believe he went in the sixth round. Yeah, the buzz has to be pretty bad at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would guess. I would say that sniff in the air is probably not awesome. Yeah, on some boards, he was the number one receiver in August. I've been on a lot of, lot of Pat's threads about him. People are pumped. Um, okay, the Ryan Rosillo podcast, you're doing two this week? Yeah, we got two. Booger, speaking of LSU, will join us uh, Tuesday. And we actually have uh, Taylor Swift Thursday. But we're taping, so we'll see how it goes. Taylor Swift? Efforting. Okay. Um, I didn't say I which the, one. I like knowing the threshold of what would cause you to do a 24-minute emergency podcast. It's basically the Bucks have to lose in five in round one. Like, it's like how many sports instances would have to cause you to just be like, fuck it, we got to tape, we got to get something up now. I agreed with what you did, by the way. Because it was oh, like thanks. that. No, I, yeah. It, no, it felt like it was like that big of a moment where we just lost the but the Bucks won one playoff game. We talked about them all year. They won one, not even one playoff series, one playoff game. I uh I tried to swear less on this pot. I don't know why I'm swearing so much on this one, but I sweared, I swore, I should say, four minutes in. Uh, but I'm gonna swear again now. That was one of those games where you're just sitting around. Like I didn't know what to do. I needed somebody to talk to. I right. I needed Need something. And I went down to my basement. I was messing around with my inventions. And Van Pelt calls me on his way back. So it's like 3 a.m. his time. He's leaving the Sports Center studio. Those are like the best moments. He like called. Yeah. Me, just driving home 20 minutes. He just calls. He goes, what the fuck? And I go, right? And we just did a circle of like 15 to 20 minutes going, and then this. And then what about this? And what does this mean? And like, what's going on here? Uh, and then, you know, it still lingered because then you had the Giannis quote that, kept going about failure yeah and i do think it's funny that like when somebody fails and he's he's you know one of the faces of the league he's had the belt which i thought was really cool you guys on your pod talking about like is there a chance for a belt transfer here after these yeah. playoffs which i i and love Cur- that and stuff. then curry took it curry took it three days later <laughs> curry's like yeah. thanks Giannis. but 
you know, then Saruti and I talked, and then Saruti's like, I, I feel differently about 2021. You'd be like, that seems incredibly like illogical, but it's real. Like everybody's going, wait, yeah, because the 2021 stuff, like, let's go back and revisit that. Like it's a rewatchables for an NBA finals where you spend 90 minutes trying to dissect why they actually weren't the champs. And be like, wait, you want to give it to Chris Paul now? Because that doesn't seem like what the public wants. So it was uh I needed to talk. I needed to share my thoughts, and that was uh emergency pod status. 23 Giannis in that 21 finals, they do not beat Phoenix. That's the best way you could put it. If they had the free one throw shooting other... and the lack of ability to shoot a 15 footer. Um, Chris Paul's right. wrist didn't need surgery and they had a backup big. Mm. Uh, thanks to sort of. Tyrese Halburn. Thanks to uh, Kyle Creighton for producing it as always. Thanks to Steve Ceruti. You can hear Rosillo's pod. You can listen to me on the Prestige TV podcast, Breaking Down Succession. Rosillo's Breaking Down Succession on Tuesdays. And we will see you on this feed, maybe on Tuesday. Not positive yet. It is my is my daughter's birthday. I don't know. I'm 50-50 for the pod. I'm like a bead. I just have a knee brace on. You don't know if I'm actually going to play or not. Uh, enjoy the rest of the day. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. What you use in your personal care routine matters, so upgrade your lineup with Dr. Squatch. They have high-performing natural products with no harmful ingredients. That'll have you looking and smelling your best, like their wood barrel bourbon bar soap and lotion or their bay rum deodorant. They even have some limited edition soaps like their Avengers and Star Wars collections. Those seem like they'd be fun to try. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com slash Simmons or use the code Simmons at checkout.